Good morning. It's so good to see everyone here. Well, welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. You already know where you are. <laughs> My name is Roxanne Borneman, and I'm a member of this congregation. I always layer up up here because it's a little chilly, and if I could have mittens on, I'd wear those too, but I can't get away with it. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people, just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are, on life's journey, you are very welcome here. I have a few announcements. They'll be brief. The first one is the annual meeting of the congregation will be held on Sunday, December 11th at 1145 in the sanctuary after the service. I've been to a few of them. Eh, make sure you come. They're important. <laughs> they really are. You know, no kidding aside. 
we're going to be voting on necessary business during the course of the meeting. The annual meeting packet will be emailed to you 10 days before the meeting, and hard copies are also available in a packet, along with absentee ballots. Ugh, gives me shivers. Um, on the counter in the church office. In order to be counted, please return absentee balance to the church before the annual meeting, and all UU WASA members are allowed to vote, and there won't be a recount. Okay, lastly, um, the Environmental Action Group is compiling its annual list of books for holiday gift giving on the themes of climate, ecology, natural history, and the environment. We're looking for titles suitable for children, young adults, and mature readers. Everyone in the congregation is invited to participate, and the deadline is Tuesday, November 15th. Right now, we're currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on Facebook, Instagram for updates. And with that, let us gather our hearts and our minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You'll find the words printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Now please join in singing hymn number 298, Wake Now, My Senses.
please remain standing and join me in reciting the church's affirmation. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. Our doxology. This morning I want to share with you the story of the almond tree. Talia's face was like a complicated map full of ridges and wrinkles. Her back was bent over and when she walked she shuffled. Still she had a twinkle in her eye and she always had a kind word for her neighbors and her children and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. She spent most of her days in a rocking chair looking out over her garden. If she had a visitor, she'd share memories of the good old days, and when she's alone, she'd remember to herself. It was during one of those mornings alone that Talia surprised herself by coming up with an ambitious decision. She made a phone call. A few minutes later, or a few hours later, excuse me, the doorbell rang, and the delivery man was patient while she shuffled to the door. She directed him to carry the very tall, skinny parcel to the back corner of her garden that was bare. He kindly helped her find the garden spade and pull out a lawn chair, and then she paid him and waved him off. Slowly, very slowly, she dug a big hole in the ground. It was hard work. Now and then she'd sit on the lawn chair to take a break, but she got up several times until eventually the hole was just the right size. Slowly, very slowly, she shuffled and rotated the bottom of the tall, skinny parcel into the hole her plunk. She sat back down to inspect it and was satisfied. Slowly, very slowly, she began to push the dirt into the hole around the bottom of the parcel. That too was hard work. Over and again, when she got tired, she sat down on the lawn chair to take a break. And then she got back up and finally was finished. She unwrapped the tall, skinny parcel, which you may have guessed by now was a beautiful sapling. She sat down once again to admire it. About then, her neighbor arrived home and poked her head over the fence, and she looked alarmed and said, Talia, be careful. What are you doing? Planting a tree? Someone of your age? Wait, is that an almond tree? It won't have almonds for years. Talia laughed, and she pointed at a very old tree in the opposite corner of her garden. Some of its branches were broken off. Others were bent with age. Most of them were bare, even though it was spring. She said, I'm like that old almond tree. My great-grandmother planted it. I loved to climb it when I was a little girl. Its branches were wide and strong, and I felt safe there. Then, when I was a young woman, I picked some of the delicate pink blossoms and decorated my hair with them. I think that's the reason my husband noticed me. 
The neighbor began to smile. As usual, there was no stopping Talia or her stories. When I was a mother, I picked the almonds and I roasted them to perfection and served them to my family. When I was a grandmother, I rested in the shade of the almond tree. Talia was looking very dreamy as she continued. I have lots of time on my hands now, and as I sit and remember and look out my window, I am mostly happy with my life. But a little while ago, I sat looking out in my garden and I realized I had never planted a tree. Never. That just didn't seem right. I have great-grandchildren. Great-grandchildren, asked the neighbor. Talia exclaimed, yes, and they need an almond tree just like the one my great-grandmother planted for me. So, of course, the neighbor laughed, and she pledged to herself to do something for her great-grandchildren, even though she didn't have any. I wonder what that will be. Perhaps she will plant a tree. What do you think? And as for Talia, after planting the tree, she returned to the rocking chair and looked out her window and smiled. And that is our story for today. Please join me in blessing our children and youth off to their RE groups this morning with May Peace Surround You. The words are printed in your order of worship. and ministry of UUWASA is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than passing a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> uuwasa.org to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support.
I'd like to invite everyone to join me in the spirit of meditation and prayer. I want to encourage you to start by putting your feet flat on the ground. Let your arms rest at your side. Just let the weight of them hold them down. If you pray or meditate with your eyes closed, I invite you to close them. Start with an awareness of yourself. Focus on the air on the top of your head. As you move your awareness down, let the tension out of your jaw. Take a deep breath into your shoulders and out. Another deep, full breath into your stomach and slowly out. Let us pray. God of hope and new life, you have promised a day in which none shall hurt or destroy in all creation. And yet all around us, we see violence and destruction. We see people in pain because they have no food, no shelter, no place of safety from the cruelty of others. And we ourselves are filled with anguish. We're filled with anguish when the world around us makes no sense. When people lie and cheat and steal and go unpunished. And those we love make decisions that will lead to ongoing pain and sorrow. O spirit of healing and wholeness, we pray for an end to suffering and grief in all the broken places of the world. Let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives and meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for our prayer hymn number eight, Mother Spirit, Father Spirit.
This morning, the reading is St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, beginning in the ninth verse. And this is what St. Paul says to that ancient church in Rome. Paul writes to his congregation and says, Love from the center of who you are, and don't fake it, and run for dear life from evil and hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply and practice playing second fiddle. He then cautions them and says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants and cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times and pray all the harder. Help the needy and always be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears when they're down. Get along with each other and don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back and discover beauty in everyone. And if you've got it in you, try and get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. Remember that God says, I'll do the judging. Let me take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if they're thirsty, give them a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Here and ends our reading.
So I'll start with a bit of a history lesson just to make sure that nobody is listening to this sermon and gets confused. You're going to hear me say that this church is 164 years old in my sermon. And those of you who are good at math might open the cover of your order of worship and go, well, 2022 from 1870 is not 164 years old. And you're right. Your math is correct if you do that. Why there's a discrepancy? Well, to be honest, because I've been making a mistake for a long time. Uh, I discovered in the archives at Harvard University that um, this church was actually established in 1858, <laughs> not 1870, but I'll tell you where 1870 comes from. 1870 comes from specifically November 20th, 1870, when a delegation from this congregation led by a woman by the name of Mary Schofield went to the office of J. Farnham Esquire late one evening, and they signed articles of incorporation that they then submitted to the Supreme Court of the state of Wisconsin that officially recognized this church as a church. There's your history lesson. Now we'll preach. So Janine DiGiovanni is an award-winning journalist and a former correspondent who currently serves on the Council of Foreign Relations, and she also teaches at Yale. During, during her 35-year career, she covered some of the bloodiest wars in all of modern times. And in her memoir that came out a year or two ago, The Vanishing, Giovanni shares what it was like for her to cover extreme violence all around the world. And what she brings particular attention to is the vanishing Christian communities in the Middle East. But a lot of the time, what she does is she discusses the role of faith in her own life. And she describes faith like this. She says, faith means two things to me, ritual and a sense of belonging. Regardless of where I was in the world, I felt a sense of being part of a larger community, no matter how difficult, dark, or dangerous the situation was. Even in a war zone, I could always find a church somewhere. Inside the church, there would be someone else kneeling in the gloomy light, 
trying to communicate with something higher. And she goes on to say that it did not matter if the church was Catholic or Protestant, if it was a cathedral in Sarajevo or in a field in Rwanda. When I entered the space, I would feel at peace and no longer lonely. I feel the same way as Giovanni does about church, especially this church. Today, this year, we celebrate the 164th anniversary of this church's founding. Technically speaking, next Sunday, November 20th, is the actual day of the church's founding. But this church preserves the Sunday before Thanksgiving for our bread communion tradition, which you all should come to. And so I've decided that we should honor the anniversary today, honor the stewards of our church today, one week early. So one of the convictions that underlies our presence here this morning is the experience of transcendence. If you need a reminder, feelings of transcendence are those amazing moments of awareness about our relationship to everything that is not us. An awareness that we are by some measure responsible to them and that they somehow are responsible to us. We also believe that the practice of religion matters, not just for us, but for the world. People in churches gather to worship the source of this transcendence. We gather to help one another grow spiritually. We gather to form children into the faith, to share our lives with others in small groups. We gather at church to hear great music, to gather food for homeless neighbors, to try and think of ways to make our city more just and more fair. And to make this possible, we hold monthly board meetings, countless, oh my, countless committee meetings, property meetings, finance meetings, stewardship meetings, personnel meetings, meetings after the meetings in the parking lot. And then every year we turn to all of you and say, can you help us raise funds to pay for heat and water and capital funds to help maintain this beautiful, though aging, building? And anytime you enter this sanctuary, you are where people have come for more than a century to worship and wonder, where they've come for quiet, to watch people wed, and to mourn the dead. The sanctuary you're sitting in is where a portion of Wausau came to mourn the news of the dead in the Second and the First World Wars. It was here people came to pray after presidents were assassinated, after images of napalmed villages were first seen on the TV. It was into this sanctuary people came to mourn and pray after the shootings at Columbine and Sandy Hook and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. This is where people came the morning after Hurricane Katrina and Sandy, after the terror attacks on 9-11 and the Boston Marathon bombing. This is where people came after Trayvon Martin was murdered, after Mike Brown was shot, after Barack Obama and Donald Trump were elected, and so on. In this church's 164 years, nearly any one of history's roads has a detour right 
to the very seat you're sitting in. And it's into this sanctuary I've come almost every Sunday for the last six years. In this sanctuary, I presided over 28 funerals, three baptisms, and 17 weddings. It's where I've preached hundreds of sermons. It's where I've shared a bit of my life with the people who called me to serve as their pastor. It's where I've looked upon the faces of the congregation I was called to serve, people I've journeyed with through tragedies and triumphs. This sanctuary is where I come to worship God. It's where I come to pray, to pray for thanksgiving. It's where I come when I struggle with big decisions and dark nights. And of course, it's true that I am supposed to be here every Sunday. It is my job after all. But even if I wasn't your pastor, there is no doubt that if I lived in Wausau, this would be the church that I came to. This is where I'd come to ensure that someone else, someone like you, is bearing witness to my commitments as a man, as a father and a husband. This is where I'd come to ask for forgiveness. This is where I would come in search of friendship. This is the sanctuary I would come if I felt like my world was falling apart. This is the congregation that I would turn to when my confidence waned, whenever I needed a reminder that grace and love are real, even when hope seemed lost. I would come to this church because this church is alive. The spirit of life moves swiftly within these walls. This church didn't just magically pop up one day. It's here because for 164 years, people of deep faith and noble purpose took personally their responsibility to make this congregation strong. And it's days like today that we honor the faithfulness of this church's members past and present. And it's days like today that I ask you to be a part of this church's legacy. Formal houses of worship like ours weren't built until the year 233. Before that, what people did is they went to church in dining rooms and along riverbanks. For thousands of years, the church really wasn't any place at all. The church was where any two people were gathered. And so what constituted the church back then and what still constitutes the church today is not necessarily a physical building, but faith. Faith, as it's written in the Gospel of Luke, that the kingdom of God lives in you. Now, I've got a few atheists and agnostics in the church, so let me translate that sentence for you. It might go something like this the inherent worth and dignity of all people. On this same topic, Gautama Buddha, several years before Jesus talked about God's indwelling, he uttered a phrase that means the same thing. And what the Buddha said was this, he said, the way holds all things within itself. Like the vastness of the universe, it lacks nothing and needs nothing added to it. What he's trying to say is that everything you need to make a life, to love, to serve, to doubt, to search, everything you need you already possess. 
That's what's being said here. It's what we do with life that matters. That's what we do with life that matters because it's hard to live and act as if everyone has natural dignity or the breath of God in them. It's hard because people vote differently than you do. People think that life begins at a different moment than you. It's hard because people cut you off in traffic on Bridge Street. It's hard because every night the news talks of war and starvation and kidnapping committed by despots who are never held responsible. It's hard because people shoot up classrooms and abandon children and walk out on fine marriages. And yet, in the face of all that, we are told that divinity lives in us all. Neither Jesus nor the Buddha felt any need to clarify the statements that said that. Because they know that this is the fundamental work of the church. To behold hungry children and masses of people fleeing violence and see in those anguished faces God. To look upon a face rent with hatred and see a glimpse of the divine. To see in it someone still worthy of care and devotion. The revered writer and Franciscan friar Richard Rohr says this, keeping the heart spaces and the mind spaces open even in hell is the essential work of spirituality. And yet, it's with hearts like ours that break and minds like ours that change that we are told the kingdom of God lives within. But the truth is this kingdom is everywhere. It's all of creation. It's in the emergency room. It's there while you shop and cook supper. It's there when you tuck your kids in at night and you kiss your friends goodbye. And it's here in this church, built by a congregation that first started gathering 164 years ago, a congregation of people not one of us ever met. What this church offers the world is a reminder of love and hope's eternal promise. And my guess about all of you is that you are here because in some way you feel called to be the church. And so what does it mean to be the church? Being the church means that we are here for the guy who cuts us off in traffic so that the morning after his son overdoses for the third time, he has a space to mourn and hope. We're here for the widow who's still getting used to coming to church alone. We're here for the refugees who need a hand getting started in a foreign land. We're here for people who are happy. We're here for the, I'm just here for the music people. But especially we are here for our broken and hurting selves. Our gifts to the church don't just keep the lights on and the water warm. Our gifts shine a light through dark times. When the tumult of political change fills us with fear and trembling, the church stands firm on things eternal. We stand upon justice and righteousness and peace. And so in the face of violence and bigotry, we are called to love the hell out of this world. This is what it means to be the church. This is what kingdom work looks like. 
This is the church's gift of peace and fellowship. And it's this same peace and fellowship that's felt right here on the corner of Fifth and Grant. And that's the same peace and fellowship that people find in the fields of Rwanda or the cathedrals of Ukraine. The great English preacher John Wesley, like many of us, struggled often with doubt and sometimes with depression. So what John Wesley would say often in his journals, what he would write and say, I'm just one person and the world, like me, is overfilled with need. And so in one of his journal entries, he asked this question, what can I do? So he spent his life trying to answer that question. And towards the end of his life in his journal, he tries to answer it with this poem that he wrote. John Wesley writes, Do all the good you can by all the means you can. Do all the good you can in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. But what I want for this congregation is for it to serve not only those of us who are here, because the comfort of religion also serves future generations. As Giovanni puts it, religion provides shared memory, a set of rituals that endure, patterns that can be passed down. And so in the years to come, I want women and men to have a place where they can come when time in their lives need to be marked and events in the world need to be wrestled with. I want the same for countless others, those unknown to us and those still unknown to themselves, those people who will enter these doors in days and years to come, looking for a place of refuge and the promise of possibility. Today is a day of thanksgiving, a day when we show gratitude for what we've been given and acknowledge our duty in return. To all those trailblazing souls who founded this congregation, to all the steadfast souls who built it up, and to the spirit of possibility that holds us all in divine embrace, it's to these that we commit our devotion. Amen. I invite you to rise in body or spirit to join in singing hymn number 128 for all that is our life.
For those of you who came here with someone this morning, I invite you to reach out and take their hand. For those of you who are here alone, reach out with your hearts. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat, relax, and enjoy the postlude.